commitment, dedication, success. Copland, Keebler, and Wallace, the most trusted name in executive search and consulting, welcomes you to the KKNW podcast, where we delve deep into the not so simple art of hospitality. And now here's your host, award-winning journalist, compelling storyteller, and video strategist, Corey Saban. And welcome to another edition of the Copland, Keebler, and Wallace Leadership Podcast. I'm Corey Sabin, and today we are joined by Kurt Keebler from Copland, Keebler, and Wallace. Kurt is a true thought leader in the industry. He is all about innovation, strategy, and of course, discussing and developing goals to help tomorrow's leaders excel. Kurt, great to be with you. Hello, Corey. Nice to be with you again, too. Hope all is well. All is great. You know, Kurt, this is a topic that I know you're passionate about, and that's just all about leadership and helping GMs be successful. So when I think about leadership, I think about strategic thinking, innovation, action, self-awareness. How do those qualities equate to successful general managers? You know, I get asked this question an awful lot, as you might imagine, doing what I do and sitting with both, um, you know, even more than two, so it's not just both, but board search committees and uh, leaders, you know, club leaders in professional development settings, which we have the good fortune of doing a lot. And I'm often asked that, you know, what, what are the characteristics, qualities, etc. and you've hit it right on the, right on the nose, it's got to um, top of the list uh, of all the things that we get asked about or for, and then our opinion. Top of the list is probably humility and self-awareness, uh, you know, just having really good EQ. And you know, most people, if they've had some time under their belt, are pretty good at the X's and O's and you know, knowing how to game plan, knowing how to prepare administratively and so on, but the really, really good ones are oftentimes the ones who have the most self-awareness, as you noted, have really good humility, they know what they don't know and they're not afraid to, to show it, and they're, they're just so engaging and have great gravitas. There was a guy in the executive search business many years ago, a fellow by the name of Jeffrey Christian. And when I was talking with Dick Copland years ago about uh, potentially leaving the, the club management world and joining him at what was then Copland Search, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, is this something that I'd really like to do, and and you know, would I be any good at it if I if I did make that transition? And you know, ultimately, I <laughs> came to the conclusion if I really stunk at this, I could probably go back and manage a club again uh, back then. 15, 16, 17 years ago, whatever it was. Uh, but I read this book by Jeffrey Christian, and I actually have this quote in several PowerPoint presentations that I do, and I'm going to uh, butcher the quote. But in essence, it's uh, from a guy who, he, he wrote a book called The Headhunter's Guide. And the quote that he had in there was really a reflection on all of the searches that he had been involved with over the years, which was not in the club business, but just in the general leadership recruitment business is that the best out there are those who 
can relate to in the club world. So I'm, I'm putting the club world spin on it. Best, most effective leaders out there are those who can relate to the dish machine operator as well as they can relate to the club president. And I'll tell you, I see this over and over again when I have the good fortune of visiting all the you know, 100-plus clubs I typically get to visit in a year, and I walk around with a, uh, a club leader. It's really cool when you walk through and you see how excited they are to introduce me to the dish machine operator, just like they're uh, oftentimes excited to introduce me to a senior manager or a, a board member or a strong committee member out there. We love running into those people because they, I think they truly get and understand what leadership's all about. And it's pretty interesting when you see the contrast where they walk by their staff and don't even acknowledge them, let alone they probably don't even know the names of their dish machine operator or other line-level staff in the organization, and oftentimes walk right by their members without even acknowledging their members. So that's something that we really see as a top characteristic. You know, there's so many characteristics, and you work with so many clubs. Is there any commonality to what they're looking for in a manager today or they should be aware of for them to be successful? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And when we work with a club, Corey, to do a GMCO search, but you know, frankly, most uh, positions of consequence in a club, with maybe one exception, what I'm going to suggest to you is almost always critical that you know whether you're the director of agronomy or the director of golf, the CFO or the GMCOO. Whenever we start a search, we survey before we even go to the club. We like to do a quick, kind of a quick hit, subjective expectations, aspirations, priorities of survey. And if you took all of those that we've ever done, the top five uh, are almost totally consistent within the, the, the multiple categories of senior leadership with the exception of, of one. So number one, almost always, is sincere and engaged interaction with members and staff. You've got to have that ability to not only be present, but to be sincerely present and to want to engage and get to know them. You've got, you know, you've, you've got, you can't do it all. You've got to get things done with and through senior leaders, staff, and volunteer members out there. So that's number one. Number two, uh, and again, this transcends whether you're a GM, a director of agronomy, etc. You've got to, in today's world, even more important, you've got to be a great uh, talent selection leader, talent development leader, and talent retention leader. If you don't understand the dynamics of that, uh, of those multi disciplines out there, you're probably not going to be successful. Especially now, and, and that that was true before the pandemic. I probably bumped that up about 27 notches since the, we're in the midst of the pandemic. Number three is you've got to be financially, you've got to have good financial acuity. You just can't be totally uh, residing in a P&L. And again, not as important for a couple of the other positions to understand the balance sheet. Although we think the deeper down in the organization that your senior leaders understand beyond their own departmental P&L, but the, the, the total club P&L and the balance sheet 
you know, understanding how we get the investment dollars in the club is important for all your senior leaders to know in order to develop them properly. But that that would be right up there as number three. Number four, and these you know, are, are within a hair of one another. They're all critically important. But how you get things done with and through well-intended volunteers, elected or appointed, working with boards and committees, all of whom have a desire to input, a few of whom have an agenda that sometimes need to be controlled. And But the dynamics of nonprofit board and committee leadership where it, it's too easy to allow somebody to hijack the agenda and take control when, in fact, it's inappropriate for them to do so. Where we often see this, I'm going to get off on a quick tangent, then I'll tell you the fifth one that I see. Sure. But where we often often see this, Corey, is I have yet to come across a club bylaw that says if you are elected president, you get to be the king or queen for the entirety of your presidential term. It's, it's, it's not there. But too often what happens is... So no autocratic leadership, board, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there, is no, there are no presidential executive orders that clubs are allowed to do. Uh, and now, if you're a benevolent dictator-owned club, different story. Got you know, it. If you're at Augusta National, Fred Ridley gets to, gets to, and he's not doing it, I'm sure, in a, in a vacuum. But you do, in a few instances, have you know, a very strong ability to affect the direction of culture. But the vast majority of clubs, you're one of nine or one of 11 or one of 13 on the board. And that's how many votes you get, is one out of nine, 11, or 13. So where we see it often failing is people allow, in many instances, boards allow a new president to come in and the conversation is, well, what are you going to prioritize this year, Kurt? It has nothing to do with what we as a, as a board believe is most important for the, the organization. It's what, what's your agenda, in essence? And we just think that's where most of the dysfunctional clubs in America because everything Corey did as president last year, I'm going to undo as president this year. There are no bylaws that allow you to you know, countermand all of those and to hijack the agenda. You're one of 9, 11, 13, whatever the number of board members are. So anyway, how you deal with that is critically important. And frankly, my old days at the Michigan State Hospitality School, back when I went, they didn't have it. have that 
coordinator and the leader of the food and beverage operation is just critical. It's creativity as so well, I think, yeah. Kurt. Kurt yeah. you know, Innovation, you creativity. Yeah. I swear, Corey, we're all ADHD now. We have a very short attention span. And when it relates to, but, and, you know, you're down here in South Florida like I am. Most of the clubs down here, not all of them, but most of them are within a residential club community. And we see this even if it's not. I was just up in New Jersey recently, and it's not a residential club community. But members feel very comfortable and safer using their clubs, but they also get bored quicker mm -hmm. because uh, they're using their club as frequently as they do. You know, I swear there are some clubs down here in South Florida, not far from where you and I live, where if you've got you know, 21 potential meal periods that you could be using the club, you're taking, you know, 28 meals a week at the club. You're even there more frequently. And you can't help but get bored or get tired or think things are stale if there isn't innovation going on. So it was a challenge before COVID, even more so now when members are using their clubs as frequently as they are. And I like that point about innovation because the GM should constantly be looking outside the gates to see what their competition is in those dining venues and how they can stay creative and not just serve the prime ribbon potato. Right, right. And, you know, as you know, most have done a, a, a better job of moving away from the, the meat and potatoes existence that many have uh, had over, over the 20 years ago. But even then, it's just you can't take your eye off of that ball. As soon as you do, we lose it. Now you you throw in the challenge of lack of uh, staffing that many clubs are. I was just at a club the other day, 85 staff members down. You know, hmm. many clubs don't even have 85 staff members. This club happened to be down 85 staff members. And the vast majority were either in the culinary side of things, couldn't find line cooks, and in the front of the house service staff. So, you know, it, it all just compounds because now members are frustrated because you have to shut down environments. And then if they're bored on top of it with the lack of innovation, it's just a, a perfect, perfect storm brewing in some areas. So there's a lot I want to get on on culture and leadership. But first, I want to remind people that the three founding club leadership alliance firms, Copland, Keebler & Wallace, McMahon Group, and Club Benchmarking are independent entities working together for the common good of the industry, serving clubs in all aspects of strategic planning, operations, finances, human capital, and facilities. The CLA's core values serve as a framework for their proven best practices and include informed leadership, strategic stewardship, empowered management and team, compelling member experience. The Club Leadership Alliance's mission is to rally club leaders to create relevant, enduring clubs, and their vision is to generate widespread understanding and adoption of the best practices that lead to sustained club success. Learn more at www.clubleadershipalliance.com. Kurt, you know, we were talking about the club that was down 85 people, and it's interesting because one of our mutual friends, Michael McCarthy, and I were talking about how he sits in the staff dining room at least three or four times a week and just gets to know the staff and not talking about club challenges, but more importantly, their families and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And to me, that culture and that care and thoughtfulness from the GM is everything. What are your thoughts on that? And it seems like a pretty simple a trick or really tool, I should say, for GMs to start to include in their repertoire. 
Yeah, I totally agree, Corey, and Michael's done a fabulous job down there. Obviously, he's got a, a legendary statue, stature in the in the club business because of what they've all achieved down there. And that certainly is a, if it's sincere, as it is in Michael's case, um, it's a wonderful technique because, again, we can't do it all ourselves. We've got to get things done with and through well-intended volunteers and our staff. And if our staff don't believe in the sincerity of our support and advocacy for, for them, you know, good luck. You know, I think too often managers, and, you know, this probably happened to me back in my club management career where I, you know, I, I thought I was better than going to sit in the employee dining room and, you know, how that ever, you know, gets into somebody's brain, I don't know, but it probably did back in, at some point in my days, I'd take lunch in my office or I'd stand in the kitchen and I, I just wouldn't go sit in the employee uh, break room. And I, you know, I'm thankful that you know, a, a mentor of mine at some point encourage me to say, don't ever forget that. And, and again, I'm sure I probably did at some point in time. Didn't do it as frequently as I perhaps should or with, with as much engagement as perhaps I should. But that sort of outreach is critical. And whether it's that, which would be very important, or one of the things that somebody had suggested to me back in my, my last club management uh, time at Isleworth years ago was they had told me about a monthly luncheon that they did where they invited 10 of their their staff in to lunch. And I thought, wow, that's a pretty interesting idea. And we started doing it at Isleworth. And I quickly came to find out that, you know, the, the first couple of months when I invite a, you know, a whole array of people, you know, we, we did community services and so on. So I might have a pool operator as well as a golf course maintenance employee as well as a housekeeper along with a CFO and a supervisor in the room, you know, amongst the, the 10 people we invited. And I'd sit there at the, at the table and we would serve lunch to them, just like if they were sitting in the members' dining room. Many times those people uh, in, the, in the room with me, you know, didn't know if they should say anything. They didn't know, you know, which, um, which pieces. So, you know, when you have you know, three forks and, and two spoons and two knives in there in the setup, as we do, you know, typically a two or three course, or you know, probably a three course lunch. Uh, you're always watching to see which one you use. It's always kind of interesting because I came to realize that this may have been the nicest dining experience they'd ever experienced. And then you start to, you know, understand, you know, how we have to really get back to the roots of what we're trying to encourage people to deliver from an experience perspective if they've never seen what that experience or experienced themselves what that experience looks like and we can't totally replicate every piece of it but that was pretty interesting the other thing that came out of that Corey this happened I'll bet three or four times over a few years of doing it at Isleworth and one I remember in particular where I had a, a pool cleaner who was sitting across from uh, a server, and you know, one of the things I asked everybody is, okay, you know, tell us about yourself. Where'd you grow up, and and so on. They both grew up in Rochester, New York, about two blocks apart. Wow! And they had never had a conversation uh, with one another about that. And all of a sudden, well, do you know so and so? Yeah, I went to school with him, and and you know, it was all of a sudden they had never talked to one another. They didn't even know each other's names because they 
I don't know that the others who, who grew up as close, we had that happen two or three times. I just didn't become as close as these two did, but it was really pretty, wow, you know, you guys have worked together for three years now and you never knew that about one another. So, you know, that kind of engagement really, really helps. Mentoring and staff development is everything. And how do you encourage GMs to embrace that methodology without the fear that they may be giving away too many of their trips? Tricks, I should say. Uh, for example, uh, helping your AGM get to the level that he or she wants to be at. Yeah, yeah great question. And I, I tell aspiring managers who are in AGM roles who don't get that to get out of there as quickly as you can. If you don't have somebody who wants to and intuitively uh, takes a, if you don't, if you have somebody who doesn't do this. You want to get out of there as quickly as you can, in my opinion. Um, you, you want somebody who takes a personal interest, even if they lose you at some point in time. And it, it's, again, one of those leadership, uh, either shortcomings or you know, huge accolades that we give people when they take that extra time to help develop. And, you know, the old adage, I don't want to spend the time, you know, given this, these, these ideas, trade secrets, et cetera, away because they'll probably leave. So we keep them and we don't give them the ability to get better. Uh, I'm not sure that that's in the best interest of the organization. There are, you know, guys like Damon DiOrio, and I, I think Damon still does that. He's kind of legendary for his mentoring uh, skills and the time he puts forward on it. But uh, and I, I think he does this still out at, at Desert Mountain where he is now. Uh, I haven't asked him lately, but back when he was at Charlotte Country Club for 29 years. If you were an aspiring young manager in, in training or even one of his um, senior leaders who might have aspirations of becoming a GM at some point in time, he would calendar a half an hour a week where you would just sit and talk. And, you know, and I can relate, you know, I'm a busy guy back when I was managing clubs. You know, the last thing I want to do is to, you know, take, three hours on my calendar to sit with uh, six different people for a half an hour, talk about their careers every week. But uh, yeah, I've heard countless people uh, that he has mentored over the years talk about the significant positive impact spending that time. You know, tell me, Mr. DiOrio, you know, what's a capital budget? Why do we put people through this membership orientation process? Or whatever it might could be on any topic that was going on at the club at any point in time or just something that somebody heard and just you know didn't have um, an opportunity to get into it but wanted to better understand it and really really impactful and I know there are you know, a number of managers who do that around the country and Damon just happens to be the first one that popped into my head. No, totally understandable. You know, I want to take a quick pause for the cause and that cause is tee it up for the troops. Copland, Keebler, and Wallace has proudly supported the mission of Tee It Up for the Troops since it was founded in 2005. Private golf clubs across the country can support America's veterans through the mission of Tee It Up for the Troops in many different ways, including hosting a fundraising event, encouraging member sponsorship, and by donating a foursome for their auctions. We encourage you to learn more about how you can support their efforts by going to teeitupforthetroops.org. So, Kurt, here's the million-dollar question. If you were a young manager coming up today, what would you recommend to do 
to be a unicorn. Wow. That is a million-dollar question. The very elusive unicorn. Yes. Yeah. Which every club wants that unicorn. Uh, And as I have reminded every search committee I've worked with for the last 15 years, there is no perfect candidate. Nobody has it all. Uh, But I I think, Corey, where I would start was being self-aware and having hard for me to say I'm humble. It's easier for somebody else to tell me if I am or not. So you know, I'm not suggesting that somebody go around and say I've got humility because I don't know that we're good. <laughs> Even the most self-aware of us are good at that. I don't think that's humble. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somebody tells you they're humble, you start uh, you know, questioning it. Um, uh, but you know, recognizing that you have to know what you don't know. And whether it's you know, having that, that true thought partner who's not afraid to tell you something that you may not want to hear, but they're still going to tell you in a nice, thoughtful, diplomatic manner, but they're not going not to uh, skirt the issue if there is an area that you know, maybe you're too aggressive or maybe you don't listen as well as you should. Uh, you know, there are candidates... You know, frankly, we, we hope we do this, and I'm sure there are people listening to the podcast who say, ah, Kurt's never done that, or so-and-so's never done that in the KKNW organization. But we always think it's a learning moment if, if, if you, I'm sure, are aware of this story. But, you know, when we do a search, let's say we have six to eight candidates that we present um, that know that there are candidates being presented. I'm getting off on another Kurt tangent here. But um, it all comes back, I think, to the point. We got six to eight candidates who um, know that they're being presented to a club. Club usually picks four out of that, maybe five that they want to personally interview. We we believe in all six to eight, but it, it, most clubs don't want to spend the time and effort to interview everybody, but they want to have some choices. So right out of the gate, let's say they pick four out of eight. I've got to call for and say, I'm sorry you didn't make it. And, you know, hopefully I've got some insight to tell them why, whether it was mm. the optics of what they were, a search committee or board was reading in the, the write-up or presentation style, or they found a typo in a, in a cover letter that just you know, said, you know, this person saying I've got great attention to detail spelled detail wrong, uh, and we didn't pick it up somehow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> weird things like that. So... I'm going to tell four people right off the gate. Now we go through interviews, and only one person gets to be the new GM. So I've, I've got to tell three people at some point in the process that I'm sorry you didn't get selected to go through the next piece of it. And we always like it to be, what's the what's the takeaway? What did, what did you learn? It isn't, you know, there are some in our industry who are legendary for telling, you know, five people that they all finished second. And <laughs> that just isn't the case. And we... We really try not to do that. If somebody finished last, we don't want to make them feel bad. You know, in a, in, a, in a, you know, out of four, if they finish fourth, we don't want to make them feel bad. But we, you know, we want to say, you know, I'm sorry, you didn't, you didn't go on, and here's why. And in order to to be better received next time, you really have to work on this, this, and this. So I think recognizing what it is that you don't know and having a game plan to get better at it, you know, and I think is where I got off on this tangent. One of the things that is often uh, evident 
somebody doesn't move on is their lack of ability to listen. And, you know, such a big attribute to, to listen. And, you know, oftentimes, <laughs> my wife probably tells me this sometimes, I want to answer the question before it's even fully asked. And we all know people who do that. Uh, and it's kind of annoying, and it's hugely annoying in an interview. And you know, people who are thoughtful, reflective, and, and so on, and uh, actually answer the question that was asked, but allow the question to be fully asked before they start answering it is a, is a big deal. So as I'm rambling, Corey, <laughs> take me back to your original question. So you, here, I'll put it in terms that uh, you can unicorn, relate to. Right? Yeah, so let's think yeah. of uh, terms you can relate to. Bill Frian was the inspirational leader of those 68 Tigers that won the World Series. How can a GM go out and be that all-around leader? <laughs> you and I are the only people listening to this who know who Bill Frian is, but um, uh yeah, how can they be that inspirational leader? You've got to have sincere personal presence. You've got to want to be part of the organization. You want to be up front, but you don't want to be the guy who's, or the person who is viewed as jumping into the picture frame because the, the, you know, the shot's being taken right then and you want to capture the glory. You want to make team first. Uh, almost always the customer comes second or the member comes second in our world. You know, if you put team first, you're probably always going to be uh, successful because the team will rally around you just like they see you rallying around them. You want to be respectfully diplomatic in a what we think of as a courageous thought partner with the board. They've got to turn to you. So, so you've got to build trust and confidence. You've got to figure out the how to do that first. But we want boards, because we think the most effective leaders out there are the ones where the two contrasts on this one, Corey, is boards at times will get on an issue. And some boards, like Medina, uh, where Robert Sorecci is, when you get on a topic, the first thing they do is say, Robert, you're our club expert. What do you recommend and why? Then there are other club boards who you know, have the, the topic du jour, have a great debate about the topic, and then turn to their GM and say, can you get this done? Without, you know, even asking for his or her opinion, we want those those leaders who have developed the the reputation and the style that causes people to trust them right off the bat. Typically, because they do what they say they're going to do, they follow up appropriately. They're respectfully diplomatic. They can tell something no without alienating somebody. You know, all those key key soft skills and. Those are the ones that are, are, you know, if I was a young manager coming up, I'd really work very hard on understanding all that. I'd want to have somebody do a SWOT analysis on me professionally and personally. What am I good at? What am I weak at? What, where are the opportunities to improve this and how am I going to uh, get it done? Maybe a SOAR analysis, strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results uh, would be a, a better personal approach on something like that. But that's where I'd start if I was a young manager looking to try to become that unicorn. Absolutely. And to use another Michigan reference, be that Mateen Cleaves, if you will, the point guard going out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> You're going back to my Michigan State days that, again, nobody else listening to this well, will know. We, but, we were talking uh, about Why don't we obscure. say urban magic? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was a senior at Michigan State during the Magic Johnson era, so half-court seats. Uh, 
about 10 rows up. There was nothing that will top that in my sporting uh, life. Okay, well, I was going to go Corey Lucius, but all right, we'll stick with Magic Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's your problem. Corey got kicked out of the program. Yeah. You're talking to a former sports guy, so I'm going to throw out the esoteric. Uh-huh. Well, Copeland, Keebler, and Wallace has proudly supported the mission of Tee It Up for the Troops. We've talked about all their great work giving back to the community, but let's talk about how they can help you. They are the most trusted name in executive search and consulting, and they deliver what they promise, and they bring an unmatched process, persistence, and presence in the industry. For Copeland, Keebler, and Wallace, it's not just their business, it's their passion. Learn more at www.kknw.com, and that and is spelled out. Kurt, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for making the time. Thank you, Corey. Always great talking with you. All right. Take care, everybody.